0: Man, you go ahead and have a seat. Um, I'll go ahead and just get the uh, the arm sling thing out of the way uh, for those of you who've been asking. I don't know if you watch American Ninja Warrior on TV or if you saw the episode that was recorded in Dallas. Um, I made it past the salmon ladder and the cargo net, uh, but on the on the warped wall, yeah, I, I didn't make it. I caught myself with one arm and just toasted my shoulder. So, um, I mean, actually, I'm just I'm just old. <laughs> Had a minor a minor cleanup surgery this past week. Nothing glamorous. No no great stories. So there it is. Um, it's out of the way. Um glad to be with you this morning. Um so thankful for you who come to eleven forty-five service. I know it's kind of the middle of the day for some and, and, and for others of you it works great. Um, but the fact that you come to the later service gives more room in the other services for more people to come be a part of what God is doing. So Thank you for being a part of this service, because if you weren't here, we'd be here by ourselves at 1145, and so I'm always amazed at how many people have made a commitment to come and be in this later service. Um, Thanks for being here. Honored to have you. Um, If you're visiting with us, uh, my name is Jason. I have the honor of of serving as pastor here, Um, and more importantly, I'm just a member of this church. I think this is an awesome church. Um, If you're looking for a place um, where you can be broken and bring your mess, um, this is a great place for you. Um, You'll fit in very well with the rest of us. Um, if you've got it all together and there's no needs in your life and, and really you're looking for a perfect church, it's probably in the place for you. Uh, you might want to keep cruising, but, um, but, but we're thankful to have all of you here. Um, this is a place where you um, can authentically pursue God and, uh, and bring your mess along with the rest of us and allow Him to continue that beautiful process of making beauty out of our ashes. So I'm glad you're here with us this morning. We're going to be in Acts 23 uh, this morning as we continue in the Acts sermon series And uh, and so just a couple things to get started. Uh, We're going to be looking at a situation where the Apostle Paul is still in custody, um, aka prison, in Jerusalem. Uh, He's been here for the last two weeks. We've been looking at his circumstances. Um, Something happened last week that was kind of a change in events. After they had arrested Paul, um, they had beaten him and really treated him poorly, uh, the guy in charge, the tribune, discovered that Paul was a Roman citizen and kind of freaked him out because to mistreat a Roman citizen like, like Paul had been treated uh, would, it would, would um, immediately convict this tribune of the death penalty. So he learns that Paul's a Roman citizen, right, and everything comes to a screeching halt. He takes a step back and then has Paul escorted back to the barracks as he tries to clean up the mess of um, having mistreated Paul. Well, in the process... He has this great idea. I'll get to the bottom of this. He puts together a meeting and he brings in Paul's accusers, um, these religious leaders from the Jewish faith, and he lets them kind of share their concerns and why they're accusing Paul. He invites Paul into the room and they sit down to try to have somewhat of a, of a, of a peaceful discussion, which then erupts in anger and, uh, and this angry mob desiring to kill Paul. So the tribune is like, that didn't work. So he has Paul escorted out of that meeting, again, back to his barracks. And so we're going to pick up the story with what happens the next day in verse 12 of Acts 23. And as we get ready to move into the time of looking at God's word and what it means for each of us, I want to ask you somewhat of a rhetorical question uh, for you to be thinking about this morning. So let me ask it um, this way. Um, do you, struggle, do you ever struggle to trust God? Don't be quick to answer that. Think about it. Do you ever struggle to trust God? Let me, let me up the ante a little bit. Do you ever struggle to trust God with circumstances that happen to be in the hands of people that you don't trust? Think about that. Do you struggle to trust God with situations or people, right, that seem to be people that you can't trust? What do you do in that situation? This is where we're going to find Paul this morning, in a circumstance and situation where his very life seems to be in the hands of people that are untrustworthy, yet the apostle Paul is going to teach us something about what it means to trust God today. So we're going to pick this up in verse 12. This is the next day. When it was day, the Jews made a plot, and they bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink, till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and he entered the barracks and he told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune for he has something to tell him. Now, this is a pretty serious situation for Paul, right? He's already been beaten to a pulp, falsely accused. He knows the angry mob is out to kill him. And now he has just got word through his nephew that there's actually a conspiracy. There's a plot uh, to set up another kind of false council meeting with the religious leaders. But on the way, there are over 40 men who have committed themselves by a pretty serious oath to jump the guards and kill Paul. And he just learned about this. And so now what he has done, he's called a centurion over to kind of the, the jail cell door while his nephew is there, and he said, hey, would you take my, this, this young man to meet with the tribune? He has something to tell him. Now, talk about the what-ifs, right? What if the centurion right, is in on the, on the plot? What if he takes the nephew out, kills him instead just to quiet things down? Or what if the centurion takes the nephew to the tribune, and the tribune... Neither believes him nor cares and just goes forward with it. Right? What if? What if the tribune, right, seeking to kind of clean up the mess, just has Paul put away quietly and put to death? And so, since for so many reasons, Paul's circumstance, right, is out of his hands and in the hands of people who he has no idea whether he can trust or not. So, you got 40 plus men who are, have applauded this assassination of the Apostle Paul. Well, I don't know about you, but that, that wasn't my week. I'd, had had some, you know, some rough moments in the week. Uh, had surgery on Monday. Uh, my kids weren't always super obedient. You know, just some ups and downs this week. But I, I wasn't in prison. right? I didn't find myself in a circumstance where I felt like my very life was in the hands of people I couldn't trust. So let's think about our lives for a minute and the practical things we face and how what Paul's facing uh, looks, looks like our life. Let's think first of all about if you're a parent think about children. Are you, are you ever in a situation where you place your children under the care of someone that you don't fully trust? Teacher? Administrator? Situation? Or maybe blended family? Maybe you share custody with a former spouse? And there's every other weekend or for part of the summer, you've got to send your kiddos off to uh, another household that has a different set of rules, a different set of principles, and you have to entrust your child to someone you don't trust. How about just sending your kids out in the world, period, right? It's a trust factor, isn't it? Some of you got kiddos that struggle with behavior issues or learning issues, right? And so it's hard to trust your kids with just anybody, isn't it? about your, your marriage or your most important relationships? Um, so often, when I sit down with a couple for marriage counseling, it, session one is basically a here's where he's wrong, here's where she's wrong kind of thing, right? Both trying to convince me that they're the purest in the relationship and the other one has all the issues. And it's, you know, very rarely does a couple ever sit down and say, we're ready to learn and we're ready to learn what our faults are and confess our sins and become a better husband and wife. Like it's always right? And, 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 and oftentimes, there, there genuinely is one who's trying a little bit harder than the other. What do you do when you're in that relationship and you feel like God's calling you to work at the relationship, to, to serve and to fulfill your role in the relationship, but it's not being reciprocated, right? How can you trust yourself to be that vulnerable with somebody, somebody else? Work, right? Your very livelihood is entrusted to someone, Maybe there's a change in leadership. Maybe your supervisor got switched out and you've got a new supervisor or the person who hired you didn't turn out to be the person you thought they were going to be and you realize this isn't a trustworthy person yet. Your very livelihood, right, is under their care and seemingly in the hands of someone you don't trust. What do you do when you're in that situation where your circumstances seem to be in the hands of someone you don't trust? Well, we have some insight into what's going on in Paul's heart and mind here. So from here, what's gonna happen is Paul is gonna get transferred to another prison in Caesarea and then on to Rome, okay? And while in prison, Paul writes a lot of his letters to churches, and uh, either in Caesarea or Rome, he writes a letter to the Christians in Philippi, and this is Philippians in your Bible. And so just shortly after this, this moment, where he learns of this plot, sends his nephew off to talk to the tribune, just probably in the next prison, he sits down to to share some of his thoughts with the church. Philippians 1, we're going to read verses 19, 20, and 21. Listen to what Paul is thinking while he's there in this position of vulnerability where his very life is at stake and in the hands of people who he doesn't trust. Verse 19, he says to the church, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Well, that's interesting, because if we stop right there, what we might assume Paul is saying is that, hey, church, thank you for your prayers. Because of your prayers and because of the Holy Spirit in me, I'm pretty confident I'm going to get out of this situation. But if we keep reading, we realize that that's not at all what Paul was saying. Verse 20, he goes on to say, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, you may have heard that last verse. You may have seen it on a T-shirt or a bumper sticker or a coffee mug, but maybe didn't realize in context what Paul was dealing with. He was in prison. And the deliverance he was talking about could go one of two ways. right? If I go on living and, 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 and God des- desires for me to be released from prison, that's, that's fine. I'll continue living my life for him. However, if deliverance for me is death, he'll actually go on to say, I'm kind of looking forward to that one. right? It's game." Why? Because I get to go into the forever presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. All my afflictions are behind me. All my suffering is behind me. All of my struggle with sin is behind me. All my struggle with doubt is behind me, and I will be in the presence of my Savior. So I'm confident that through your prayers and through God's Spirit in me, this is going to turn out for my deliverance. However, how deliverance gets defined is in God's hands. He'll decide whether this means I get set free live a little bit longer, or if deliverance means by God's mercy, I am right done with this life and I move forward. And so Paul was very aware that, that his life was in danger. But ultimately, who was he trusting? God, right? He wasn't caught up with the anxiety of what if they don't believe my nephew and what if this happens and what if that happens? He looked beyond his circumstance and ultimately Paul believed that his life was in the hands of Of God. Now when you look at Paul's life story, his testimony throughout the book of Acts, right, we see that from the very beginning, from the moment he was saved, God told him he was gonna suffer. And this is not right, this didn't catch Paul off guard. Acts nine, we talked about this last week. Paul encounters Jesus on he's traveling, and Jesus strikes him with blindness. And his buddies help him into town. And then God sends a a Christian servant by the name of Ananias to talk with Paul. And one of the things that Jesus tells Ananias to tell Paul is this, Paul, you're my chosen instrument. You're going to preach before kings and before the Jews and before the Gentiles. Oh, yeah. And you're going to suffer a whole lot for my sake. And so from the moment he was saved, Paul knew that his journey right, was going to encounter affliction and hardship and trial and suffering. Just uh, three chapters before this, in chapter 20, Paul's speaking to a group of Christian elders from the church in Ephesus, and uh, he tells them, hey guys, listen, I'm not quite sure what awaits me in Jerusalem, but, but I do know this, the Holy Spirit just keeps telling me this, that imprisonment and affliction await me. And so this was not a surprise to Paul. He knew that his journey of following Christ meant trusting Christ even into imprisonment and suffering. So essentially, Paul was entrusting God to do what God told him he was going to do. I want to think for just a minute about the promises that God has made you. What promises has God made to you? It'd take hours and hours and hours to go through all the promises that God has made you from the scriptures, right? Um, Don't just go do a Google search, promises of God, and believe everything you read. There's some, some pretty quacky stuff out there. For example, God didn't promise to make you rich, okay? So if that's something you believe, like he hasn't promised that to you in, in the Bible. Now, he's, he has promised, uh, Malachi 3, if you, if you trust him and bring your full tithe uh, to the storehouse, um, that he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on your life until there is no more need. He's promised to take care of your needs. He's not promised to make you wealthy. Should he choose in his providence to bless you and make you wealthy, it's that you would use that wealth to honor him with your life. So whether you're rich or whether you're you're poor, right, you would honor God with your life. But he didn't promise to make anybody rich, right? He he does that according to his plan. Now, let's talk about what what God has promised. He's promised to take care of your needs. Um, He's promised that all who trust in them, he'll give a new heart and a new set of desires. He's promised eternal life. That beyond this life, you can truly have confidence that there is an an eternity to be had in relationship with him. He's promised to bless those who are weak with strength. He's promised you that. He's promised wisdom and guidance for your life. He's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. He's promised to bless those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are merciful. Those who are pure in heart. Those who are peacemakers. And those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He's promised to bless those people. These are promises, things that God has said, spoken, had written down in his word. And he wants his people to know, I promise you these things. Take it to the bank. Stake your life on it. I've promised you these things. But he didn't promise Paul, I'll get you out of prison, did he? What did he say? Paul, you're going to be my chosen instrument, and part of being my chosen instrument means I'm going to use you through your imprisonment and affliction. I'm going to deliver you, right? That doesn't mean that I'm going to make all this go easy for you. And ultimately, Paul had come to a place where his trust was in God. I love the book of of Psalms. Beautiful prayers and songs that were put together so that we would have insight into the heart of God and how to struggle with doubts and fears. And a lot of the psalms were written out of really hard moments of suffering, especially King David. When he was backed into a corner, he saw no way out. He didn't know what to do. One of the things he oftentimes did was, was sit down and write down his prayer, and, and it would become a song for him. Just a moment of worship, writing out his prayers. Um, I encourage you to do a word search. So if you use like a Bible app or a website, go put in the word, do a word search on trust and look at all the verses that come up from the Psalms and just read those beautiful proclamations about trusting God. I'm gonna read uh, a couple of them for us this morning. Um, I love Psalm 20, verse seven. Psalm 20, verse seven, you may have heard this, may have sang it in a song. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we as God's people trust in the name of the Lord our God. Let me translate that in 2017. Did anybody bring a horse and chariot to church? Maybe you did. I didn't see any pull in, okay? Um, So here's what that psalmist is saying. Some people trust in what they can do for themselves. Some people trust in their own strength, their own ability, their own reason, their own wisdom, but as God's people, that's not where we place our trust. We don't trust in chariots and horses, jobs, careers, cars, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Um, Psalm 37, verse 5. Love this beautiful promise. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Now, isn't that what we want when we pray? We want God to act, right? This is what I want to happen. Now, God, will you act? And that we, we stand waiting for God to act. We, we long for God to act. Well, you, you heard the first part of the verse, right? Commit your way to him and what? Trust him and he will act. That's a promise from God to you. Commit your way to him and trust in him and he will act. So let me just kind of, let me press a little deeper into what I think the real struggle is for a lot of us. We just don't like being out of control. Right? We don't. Can Can we be honest I'd ask for a show of hands for all the control freaks in the room. But in order to do that, right, I mean, we'd have to give up some level of control to admit that. So we would, and then there'd be a whole lot of this going on. And I'll admit it, I I struggle with control. I do. And oftentimes, um, I don't even pray about things until I get to that point where I've kind of, I'm out of options. I can't figure out how to manipulate it any further. Whether it's a struggle in parenting or in my marriage or in something else. Oh God, I need you. I need you to act here, right? But can we just be honest about some things? Praying should be the antithesis of being a control freak. It should be, right? It should be the opposite of. It should be that place in our life where we say, "God, I don't want to control it. It's not that amount of options. I just know what'll happen." Right? If this situation is left up to my wisdom to figure out what to do, I'm going to mess it up because I know what I think needs to happen. But how many times have we gotten down the road, looked back, and went, oh, thank God what I wanted to happen didn't happen because that would have been a train wreck and a mess, right? But think about it. Prayer is not only believing that God is powerful enough to act. It's also simultaneously believing that he's wise enough to know what's best. It's what I call the greater good. It's not that we pray for evil things, right? We pray for good things. It's that God knows what the greater good is, right? And oftentimes from our perspective, unless it works out this way, right, it's not gonna be good. And then we get frustrated because God doesn't act. What's the problem? Am I not believing enough? Am I, I not having enough faith? Am I, is it a sin? Why isn't God acting here? And we forget the promise in the Psalms. Commit your way to him and trust him and he will act but not according to my wisdom, praise God, according to his wisdom. Prayer should be faith that simultaneously believes that God is powerful enough to move mountains can perform the greatest miracle and at the same time knows what's best, the greater good. And so when we find ourselves in this situation where things are out of our control, And it seems like our circumstances are in the hands of somebody we don't trust or like. The question is, right? The question is, who are you trusting in? Is it, is your struggle, the fact that, that the control has been taken out of your hands? Is that what you're really upset about? Or is it that you haven't come to that place where you've seen God as both powerful and wise? Now, There's a, a moment that Paul has with Jesus the night before his nephew comes to him. And Jesus says something to Paul, and we're going to back up and look at it in verse 11. Now, translated into English in the ESV, it's 21 words, okay? It was it, less words in the, in the Greek language. Um, last week, we read this verse, and we focused in on the end of the verse. Let me read it. So the following night, so this is actually the night before his nephew comes to him, the following night, the Lord stood by him. This is the Lord Jesus. Stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So last week we focused on the end of that verse, how what Jesus was saying to Paul is this. Hey, Paul, this isn't the end of the road for you. We're going to take this show on the road All that's happened to you here in Jerusalem, we're going to go do the same thing again in Rome. Aren't you excited? And so ultimately what Jesus was saying to Paul is, hey, let's take a deep breath because we're not done yet. But at the very beginning of, of his statement to Paul, we find some really helpful counsel. To begin with, we read this description. That the following night the Lord stood by him. Now, I just read that in English and it sounds like Jesus comes alongside Paul. He's there in his... Uh, you know, on his cot in the prison cell, and Jesus puts his arm around him and says, you know, Paul, how you doing, buddy? You stood by him, right? Just kind of slid up next to him. You doing okay? But the word in the Greek language is so much more powerful than that. It actually could be translated established him or overcame him. The idea is that Jesus's presence was so intimate, And so real and so powerful in this moment that the Spirit of God just overcame Paul and established him, like propped him up, surrounded him, became a fortress to him. So it's a very powerful description of the presence of Jesus there in that jail cell. But then here's what Jesus says. He says, take courage. Now, right, the question then comes, well, how do I do that? (laughs) If I I knew how to do that, I wouldn't be so fearful. How do you take courage? It's actually one word in the Greek language. And the word here means to be of good cheer or to be of of, of a peaceful mind. And so literally what Paul is hearing from Jesus is this. Paul, have so much confidence in me that right now you are filled with peace. It's another way you could render this moment. Between Paul and Jesus. Have so much confidence in me right now, not in your circumstances, not in your nephew, not in the guards, not in the tribune, not in the Jews. Have so much confidence in my presence right now that you are filled with peace. Now, what you may not know is this is not the first time that Jesus has made this promise. In the Gospels, in John chapter 16, before he goes to the cross, Jesus pulls his disciples aside. He says, Hey, guys, Things are about to get rough, not just for me, but also for you. And he talks to them about trials and tribulation and suffering that is going to come in the world that we live in. And in John 16, verse 33, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, guys, here's why I'm telling you this. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Where? In me. Guys, it's going to get really rough out there in the world. Suffering, affliction, tribulation. But don't look for your peace in your circumstances. What's happening to you? You won't ever find it there. Why? Because everything is going to perpetually always feel out of your control. There's always going to be something you can't control. Don't look for your peace there. Look for your peace in me. And then he says these words. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, that's the same word, take courage. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Now for Paul, that was a pretty intimate thing because Jesus had been exactly where Paul was at. Falsely accused by the Jews, beaten to a pulp, right? In prison, his very physical life was in the hands of people who were not trustworthy, Jesus had been exactly where Paul was at. So on one hand, when Jesus said, hey, Paul, I've overcome this, that was a very intimate and personal thing, right? But for you and I, what Jesus is saying is, listen, I've been to the worst of the worst circumstances this life has to deal out to you. I've been to the end of it, persecuted, falsely accused, betrayed, abandoned, suffered physically, suffered emotionally. I've been there all the way to the point of death. And I have overcome. And so whatever your circumstances are, Jesus is making this promise to you and I and saying, listen, take courage. Be at peace. Not because your circumstances are gonna change tomorrow, but because I have overcome your circumstances. That's why Paul had courage. That's why Paul trusted in God, not in the tribune or in the centurion or in his nephew. Because ultimately, right, Paul knew my my life is in the hands of God. He's going to deliver me. It may end in getting out of jail. It may end in a casket. But I trust God because He is trustworthy. So what happens from here is it's interesting the contrast between Paul's response to this news about the, the 40 men versus the tribune's response. So we continue reading, here's what happens. The centurion takes the nephew to the tribune, and the nephew says, here's what I heard. This is what I learned. Um, the Jews are going to try to get you to do another council, but along the way, while you've got Paul like, lightly guarded, there's like 40-plus men who are going to jump your guards, and they're going to kill Paul. And so the, the, the tribune's still a little freaked out because he's already broken Roman law, and he finds out he's going to be sentenced to death. Um, He takes a step back and and in some ways overreacts. Uh, He issues an order for 470 Roman soldiers to escort Paul out of town and under the authority of another governor, which is why he goes to Caesarea. And he sends a letter with Paul to that governor, Felix, basically saying this. Let me tell you about the poor apostle Paul. I discovered some Jews mistreating him. They beat him and they arrested him. And once I discovered that he was a Roman citizen, I sent my soldiers to rescue him and now I'm sending you to, him to you so that his life may be spared. And try to, he tried to manipulate the situation and cover up his own tracks. He did a lot of like I do, right? Trying to control a situation, limit the damage, cover up the tracks. Ultimately though, Paul's... Life and death were in the hands of God as God used this situation to lead Paul to Caesarea and then we'll see in the next couple weeks on to Rome where ultimately he would give his life for the sake of following Jesus. Now, I wanna wanna ask you to do something with me today. Um, I want you to think about a situation that you're struggling to trust God with, okay? Okay? Think about it, maybe it's a person, maybe it's one of your children, maybe it's a circumstance with your children, maybe it's a relationship you have, maybe it's your career, your job, maybe it's your health, or the health of somebody you love dearly. A situation that's seemingly out of your control that you're struggling to trust God with. Just to kind of help you maybe narrow it down, if you're not, nothing really comes to mind, think of it this way. What are you, what are you anxious about? What causes you anxiety right now? Might be something that you need to turn over and trust God with. Or what is it that, that can anger you, like from zero to 60, like that? What is it that makes you angry? might be a situation that you're struggling to trust God with. Um, how about this? What are you fearful of? What are you fearful of? Losing? Or fearful of changing? Now just think about those questions. As God brings something to mind for you, something that you're struggling to trust God with, maybe it's just your own life. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. And you've been struggling to make that decision just to trust God with forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Maybe that's where you are. What I want you to do is I want you to think about whatever your struggle is, as I read scripture over your situation I want to read truth from Psalm 56 over our anxieties our fears over the things that make us angry I want to let God's word speak to each one of us this morning so think about your greatest life challenge right now maybe or something that's just right around the corner And I want to read this psalm over our lives today. This is Psalm 56. It begins here. This is David in a really, really hard situation. His life was being threatened. He was backed in a corner. He didn't know how he was going to get out of it. He begins by saying, Be gracious to me, O God. For man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long, they injure my cause All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. And they have waited for my life. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render, think offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Did you feel struggle in that song, David knowing, this is what I need to do. I need to trust God and, wait a second, there's a whole lot of people out to get me. They're lurking, they're they're, they're seeking to kill, but I need to trust God. Kind of that back and forth. Did you, did you hear him speaking to himself, kind of preaching to himself there when he said, I shall trust God? like Almost like David saying to himself, David, you know you need to trust God here. You should trust God, right? I know, you're, I, I, know, I know you're backed into a corner. It seems like circumstances are completely out of your hands, but you know it. You know it. God is in control, and you should trust him. Ultimately, here's what it boils down to. It's a very simple statement, but here's what it boils down to. Do you believe that what God has planned for your life is more trustworthy than the plans that you have for yourself? I want to let that question land on us today. All of us, including me. Isn't that what it boils down to? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's plans for you in your life regardless of how hard or easier which direction he takes you do you believe his plans are more trustworthy than the plans you have for yourself i mean this is the essence of our prayer life isn't it trying to talk god into doing what we want trying to talk god into doing the thing that we think is best prayer should be right simultaneously Believing, stating, God, I believe you're powerful enough to work here miraculously. And at the same time, trusting that his wisdom is better than yours. Here's what I want to do. We're going to sing in just a moment like we normally do. And we're going to sing the song, I Need You. And normally when we sing, we invite everybody to stand and sing with us. And I love to hear you sing. But what I want to ask you to do is actually the opposite of that today. I want to ask you to be slow to sing today. Before we let these words come out of our mouth, could we let them land on our heart? Could we we do that this morning? You may not even, you just may want to stay seated, praying, thinking about what God's speaking to you today. You may want to continue that process of thinking about what you're anxious about. Um, You may just want to listen to other believers sing. Feel free to do that. But I would ask this morning that we would be slow to sing and quick to, to think about the words believe the words and let what comes out of our mouth be a reflection of what's in our hearts can we do that today now, i'm going to pray for us as i ask the worship team to come back down and um, our prayer partners are going to be available um, at the back of the room they have a lanyards on that say prayer partner on them um, they're always honored to talk with you and pray with you about anything going on Uh, If you want more information about how do you become a Christian, they're here to talk with you about that as well. Um, And so as we get ready to to sing, I'm going to ask that you would just be slow to stand and sing today, and uh, and maybe just spend some time lingering and thinking about how God's speaking to each one of us. Let's let's pray together, and then we'll respond. Um, God, thank you for uh, this beautiful reminder uh, through Paul's story today. And God, the, the hero of The story is not Paul, it's you. And God, thank you for that reminder that it's your presence that establishes us, that secures us like a fortress. God, it's your promises that allow us to walk through what seems like uncertainty, what seems like hardship and even suffering with confidence and peace. Father, your promise is that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And that when we commit our ways to you and trust in you, you you act. God, today, as strange as it sounds, I'm so thankful that sometimes you don't answer my prayers the way I, I pray them. I'm so thankful that you act according to your wisdom, not mine. Father, this morning, you've brought to mind all across this room a lot of things that we're struggling to let go of, things that we're struggling to trust you with. And so today, I pray, God, that this will be a, a time of sweet surrender as we pray and as we sing, that it would be this beautiful declaration that you are trustworthy, God, and we trust you with the most important things in our life. So, Father, meet us now as we respond. We pray in Jesus' name.